When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, this is Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. I am your host, Nina Perez, and we are here to discuss life topics to challenge and transform your thinking. Let's do this. So today I am so super excited because I have a woman here that I have been following and I am an admirer of her and her name is V Lakshmi and she is an author and an international award winning photographer. She was born in India and adopted by a Jewish family and raised here in the US as Rachel Beck. She is the author of Finding Your Way, When Life Changes Your Plans. It is a memoir of adoption, loss of motherhood, and rediscovering home. And I could not put it down. I couldn't put it down. So if you can't tell, look at all these stickers up in here. So so I thank you so much for being here. Um, Now, do you want to be called V or Rachel? Oh, Rachel's okay. And thanks for having me, Nina. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. Um, And I wanted to bring you on here because you have a fascinating story. You have been through quite a bit. And so I want to start off with just you introducing yourself to our viewers, just so they know a little bit about who you are, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Okay. My name is uh, Rachel Beck. I use the name V Lakshmi as a pen name. This is a common question I get, Nina. Um, (laughs) That was my, I don't know if you know this, Nina, that was my biological name. And I wanted to honor where I came from. So that's why I use the pen name V Lakshmi. My story is complicated. You know, it's difficult, you know, um, you know, being an orphan, my mom died two days after giving birth. I'm looking for a biological father. I was put into the home of the founder of the orphanage while it was being built. And that was in Tamil Nadu in Southern India. And my journey started there. And then I was adopted by um, a white Jewish family, grew up outside Philly. And everything I'm doing, Nina, is to give back to where it came from. That's why I'm donating part of the proceeds of the book or going back to the orphanage. There's not one day that I don't forget. Yeah. And I've been very blessed uh, through my life by, you know, the the family and the opportunities. So it's important to me. It's important to me to leave this planet with a footprint of positivity versus negativity. Yeah, for sure. I, um... I was reading that and you were so gracious uh, to your family as well, to, to your a Jewish family. I mean, you, you just talked about nothing about, you just talked about how much you love them, how much you cared for them, uh, how much they cared for you. 
right? I mean, that is a beautiful thing. Um, and I was reading and of course, <laughs> sticky notes all over the place. Um, but I love something you said, if I can just read it. Please. You said towards the beginning, um, if you have never been a minority, try putting yourself in one's shoes once. You might learn a lot and will almost certainly cultivate new depths of compassion for people. Fitting in in uh, fitting in in something every human being wants, feeling loved and not judged. And I was like, wow, that's that's so powerful because I don't think that we. Um, do that enough. I think we need to do that more. And especially in this climate that we're in, where everything seems so divided and so polarized, it is really helpful to, to remind someone to step into someone else's shoes. And you being adopted by a white Jewish family, I mean, you don't look white or Jewish, right? right. So, so that must have been like a real, you know, standout, you know, and I love the way you said in your family, didn't feel anything. It didn't, it didn't, you know, uh, make a difference to you. Right. I think it was when you started going to school that you started to realize that there was differences. Right. How did you deal with that? Well, I think, I think my mom said it was like three or four. I finally asked, like came home from preschool or something and said, why are you white and I'm brown? Very right. simple question for a three or four year old. Right. I still deal with it. And I've been giving talks mm. on diversity awareness for 15 years. And I'll continue to speak about it. I've had five racist events since March. This one of the scariest last Sunday. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I can't be silent anymore about it, Nina. I need people to, when I talk about walking into shoes, it's just being empathetic. Yeah. It's just wow. saying, hey, you know, you're, I walk out into the world. I put this like protective magic bubble around me right and i and i hope for the best and it doesn't happen <laughs> some days it yeah. doesn't and due to the climate of the country like you're talking about it's it's like on the rise and that's, that's why sad. yeah i won't sugarcoat it on social media i'll i'll turn my camera on and say today was a bad day mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I and yeah go ahead i'm sorry i'm listening no i just can't be silent about it anymore i've had some downright scary experiences and it's it's so hard already because um there was something else you um you wrote about too um, on top of being adopted right and on top of going through um the, those racial events even up to recently right you talked about how even the issues of adoption is something you are already dealing with right so you were talking about abandonment issues um separation anxiety trust issues need of acceptance fear of rejection being able to fully connect with someone i was reading that and i'm like wow that's that's already a lot that's already a lot right and to bring that to take that on and i know this has nothing to do with your your family and the way they raised you it has to do with the fact that we are different right that you are different so you saw it and then you automatically like you know kids can be cruel yes humans yeah humans you're right you're right my my issues with racism because i went to a jewish private school right so we're all jewish so that identity like I was fine, even though I was the only colored person in the school. I felt right. very safe. It's when I went to public school 
right in public school and then high school and then I ended up you know moving to Florida went to a very diverse school down there the identity issues as an adoptee are huge huge. I've worked with um you know therapists do some of the things I've, I've had to deal with and they've all told me it comes down to the very beginning of my life so you have to think about it, right? So you have no control if, if your mother dies. Then you have somebody who held on to you for a couple months, but then dropped you off to somebody else. And I'm trying to verify who that was. And I unlock the, um, pieces of the story every time I'm there. Stuff that I didn't put in the book, but I'm putting it in the second book. Mm-hmm. So you're passed around, right? So you've got one person, then the next person, and then you're adopted. So I had zero control over my life, not whatsoever. But those issues of, I wonder, like, what could I have done wrong? You know, what did I do wrong? And then let me say the positive thing. Adoption is beautiful. It provides a lot of homes for people. And I wanted to write this from an adoptee's perspective because I've studied adoption. You know, I minored in psych, minored in gender. I took a whole class on families. And I would read the books and I still research adoption. When I pick up a book and the book is not written by somebody who's adopted, I've already shut down. Not saying that the research isn't wonderful, not saying that's not a fantastic book. I can't emotionally connect because they haven't walked that path. It's like me talking, okay, so you're a chef. I'm not a chef, <laughs> but it's like me here talking about cooking and this and that, and then writing a book on it. And you go, well, she's not even a chef. Right. How right. could she be a chef? Yeah, I think there, but there's something to be said about the human connection when you've been through something, right? I think people connect with you more. You know, they look at you kind of side eyed until you say, well, I've been there. And then they're like, oh, you know, like then there's this immediate connection, right? Because in in all humanity, right, all humans want to connect in some level, right? And if we keep dividing ourselves, we're not going to find that. I wanted to ask you what you would tell, like, um, what would you tell an adoptee, somebody who's been adopted, you know, how do you start? How do you get through some of that? Is there something that you suggest or recommend for them to do to kind of just get through that? Yes, a strong support system goes a long way. And Mm -hmm. I credit that, you know, I have seven best friends, right? And God bless them all. I've grown up with all different stages of my life. My, My family, my mom made it very clear to me at a very young age, come to me if you have any questions at all. And being behind me, you know, that's a fine line. You know, I have friends who adopted that um, their parents are also supporting them on their journey. And then I have other ones that they're nervous to tell the parents, hey, like, and they've called me, we've talked about it. You know, they have come from orphanages in China or India, and they've said, scared because I don't want to hurt her feelings, but still want to search. So if adoptive parents are creating that open line of communication, yeah, this is your life. This is your story. My story is different than my parents' story. And they've always honored that. That's great. And, and they've never called, they don't introduce me as their adopted child. I'm Rachel, their child, period, the end. And right. that's the mistake people are making. Yeah. That's I had a call, so 
Yeah, I had to call one of my friends out on it. She like introduced her daughter. This is my adopted daughter. And then when her, uh, like a day later, I said, why did you do that? She's your daughter. And she said, well, how am I supposed to introduce her? She's your daughter. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I, I have a stepdaughter, so I'm remarried and I have uh, two stepchildren. And I remembered no one ever knew she wasn't mine. You know, and everybody was like, oh, you know, your daughter, your daughter. And then one day they met her mom and they were like, wait, I'm confused. And it's because I never, ever distinguished a difference. To me, there is no difference. If it's a gift to me to have that little life in front of me, it's a gift, right? That's how I see it. Yeah, I I just want to do it. Like if you don't create that, right? And you don't create, I just told that divide. I just told my parents actually two years ago. I just shared this with them. I told them that for 18 years, I thought they were going to give me away. Not by anything that I did or they did, but it was always like in my mind and and my parents like, why didn't you say anything? You're like in your mid forties now. Why, why didn't you, we would have, we would have given you the security to know, Hey, we're not going to return you. Right. 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 And it's that because it was, I had to go through it. Right. Well, it was what you pointed out in your book, right? That fear of rejection too. You already went through it as an infant and you're like, well, if they came your way as an infant, what are they going to do when I'm 13 and I'm like a raging lunatic, right? Because yeah. <laughs> teenagers are not that easy. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. But you've been quite through a lot um, since the adoption, right? So I was reading your story about your... Um, endometriosis that has been something heavy in your life right yeah you've been through a lot um and endometriosis is something that happens to a lot of women and it's hard to deal with if you've never been through it right extremely hard and i got diagnosed in the 90s right so like much yeah it's changed so much and but it took me a long time to get diagnosed to find somebody who actually now it's like you know women can get on you know google you're talking just 96 i was diagnosed something like that year or two but to understand so now i'm using my voice for that too that's awesome this this is what we have i had i can't you know i had so many surgeries for it to go through it and then three years ago um it came back again and I'm just saying, it's my medical disclosure. Everybody's joining with endometriosis is different. I'm just yeah. sure. Fine. Um, and I had, a, I decided and made the decision to have a hysterectomy. Right. And that's a tough decision. That's a tough decision. Now you have to, you know, you, you almost have to like find your way through that. But you've already been through so much because your endometriosis um, was a big factor in your life. And I know that you ended up finding the, the love of your life. Right. I was reading the story. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. He sounds amazing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been through, you know, everything together. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, infertility effect. I try to tell people it affects men and women. Yes. And Thank and you I, for saying that. Thank you for saying that. It affects both genders. Mm-hmm. And everything and I, I will tell you that you won't believe what happened after I wrote the book. You won't believe it, you know. What's okay. that? You know, I, I will share with you another time. <laughs> you okay. Oh, the book is heavy, like. <laughs> but I do want I do want the audience to know what happened because I know that 
a lot of women deal with what you had to go through. And um, what, what, what I'm referring to is the miscarriage, right? Because you had to go through the, through the endometriosis and then all th through all of the infertility um, process that you went through, you did end up becoming pregnant on your own. With yes. your husband, right. And that uh, as I'm reading the book, my heart is pounding because I don't know what's going to happen. Can you just take us through that journey a little bit, please? Because I'd like people to hear this. Yeah, I was, you know, got married. It was like immediate, like, let's have a family. Right. I, it, it had not, it had been a dream of mine forever, right. like be a mom. Like that's like what I wanted to do. And like most people you start and then you start to think it's not happening. It's not happening. It's that, you know, you take a pregnancy test, it fails, take a pregnancy test, it, that up and down of emotions. Mm -hmm. I, I can't explain to people unless you've been through it. So did all the treatment, didn't work, did, you know, the medical treatment didn't work. And then miraculously, we did get pregnant. And it was huge. Like for me as an adoptee, um, I have a therapist in the family. And he said for me, it was huge because of that biological connection for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. And then 11 weeks into it, lost it. Mm -hmm. And it was hard because I didn't. And I, I just, you don't, you're never prepared for a miscarriage. And that's something I'm using my voice to. On yeah. Mother's Day, I put a post out saying to the miscarriage and infertility community, I know how hard this, Mother's Day and Father's Day are very difficult for the infertility community. So I do that to honor them and say, you know what? You're not alone. Right. It is painful. I shared a ceremony I did that my therapist had taught me about. And because I need some kind of closure. Yes. And there are, are, there are people who are working on this in, you know, the religious areas are starting to understand that there's a need to take people who have miscarried through the grieving process. Good. Yeah. So there are Good. people working on this. There's research being done. I was sent, like, literally, like, left the hospital and was just sent home. Yeah, right. there, there wasn't very much sensitivity to you at all, actually, except for that nurse that I was reading oh. about. Yeah, well, um, but, the, but the way the doctors treat it, or even like some people who don't know what to say treat it. Like I had a cousin who had a miscarriage as well, and it was very hard for her. I think she was like four months. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the baby had to stay in for a few days more before they, and it was just like, I can't even imagine. And nobody's ever brought it up again. You know, like, it's like, and I'm like, no, that's, no, no. You have, and that's what people do, right? So I had yeah. one, and she didn't, she didn't talk to me, right? Yeah. You know? And she didn't know what to say, Nina. And that, I mean, because now we're like really close again, but at that yeah. point, she's like, I was so horrified when I got the call. Right. I, I didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. So I give people tips. And I would say every six months, I talk about miscarriage, and I drop tips about like the tree, but planting the tree in the back, mm -hmm. doing Christmas angels for people's trees. Mm -hmm. The worst thing you can do is not say something. Right. You know, yeah. that's, that's even, it's like more, it's like you're not even acknowledging what happened. Right. And, and some people don't know how to acknowledge, but you're right. It's good that you're um, saying, you're speaking to people about that. But I also love that you said the couple goes through it because a lot of people forget that the husband goes through it too. 
you know, or the, or the partner, they go through it too, you know, and you said something so powerful. Like, I mean, I even wrote wow next to it because I just couldn't, you put here just a little snippet on page 17. It says Jewish people have a certain way to handle death and it is through the very precise, um, and it creates a mourning period, the Shiva. And then you say, there is no Shiva, no ceremony, no funeral. When exactly is the mourning period for losing a baby? Oh, how on earth do you mourn? That was like, oh my goodness. And I, oh, I'm, right. I talked to rabbis about this. I had a rabbi in the show recently and I we talked about this. I said, and he ironically had been through miscarriage. The rabbi had been through miscarriages. And he was like, Rachala, we're going to do this together. We're going to work on this. And we know that there's a need for it. We're, we're seeing this. Yeah. And you can't, you, luckily, because I, I had people who understood and had been through it. The other thing, Nina, you can do, it's so simple. Some people don't want to go to the house, right? So they'll ask, whenever I talk about miscarriage, people are like, Rach, give me tips. You can bring a basket over to them and leave it on the front porch. Um, things that helped me were really warm socks, a cozy blanket, um, some tea, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of like sitting on the couch. I was very, very tired from everything. A teddy bear, you know, mm -hmm. something that is comfort, comfort, yeah. you know, um, send a pizza over. Cause maybe the couple doesn't want to cook that night. Maybe they don't have it in them. Yeah. Those yeah. are things that you could, cause one of my friends, she said, well, what can I do? She called me her friend and have enough. I said, drop a basket on her front porch. Mm -hmm. Just do that and walk away. Yeah. I said, if she doesn't want to see people now, and that's her choice. Yeah. Just because. That's so powerful. That's powerful. And that's powerful that you're giving them tools because friends want to be friends. Sometimes they just don't know how to deal with it, you know? So that's very, that's such a powerful tool. And I know that that is not even halfway through the heartbreak, right? So you, you get through finding your way back, you know, with your husband you, you get through some healing um, and then you decide you want to start a family. So you're going to adopt. And that's where I was reading yesterday when I wrote you and I was like, oh my goodness, woman. Um, and you talked about this adoption. Um, and I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about that adoption um, and what happened with, with the adoption. Um, you know, went through the whole pr process. We do the home study and you're cleared and this and that wait, you're on that waiting list, waiting for that magical call. We got the magical call. Mm -hmm. you know, hey, we have a baby. This is a perfect, you know, it's a match. And, you know, within 24 hours, you're, I mean, you're, you're up, gone, traveling. Mm -hmm. We met her and fell in love with her and it all fell apart in 24 hours. So, right. and that's where my PTSD came from because yeah. what, what the doctor explained to me was it was too many emotions that for a human to experience. And, you know, we met her, I got to hold her, you know, at the hospital, fell in love with her. Mm -hmm. And then everything didn't go good. Right. But I believe I can say now, Nina, years ago, years later, she's where she's supposed to be, just like where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's such a hard trauma. Yeah. And I can imagine why you were diagnosed with um, the PTSD and the anxiety you talked about in the book, which is a very real thing very real. I went through that as well. And PTSD and anxiety is not somebody getting over it. You can't just get over it. 
Thank you. You know, yeah. And people just like, oh, just get over it. No, you cannot just get over it. Okay. It takes time. It takes help. It takes healing. And sometimes it, it you are healed and something can trigger it. Yes. You know, so you're, you're good. And then something can trigger. So you were diagnosed with PTSD and anxiety, right? Yeah. And this yeah. was a whole new thing. I never had had any of it before this traumatic experience. Right. Oh, so even that's all new to you. It was all brand new. I didn't have any of this. Right. So that's yeah. another thing I'm using my voice for is to end, end the stigmas around mental health. And I will continue mm-hmm. using my voice because people say, well, you don't look like you have PTSD. Or, or how, like? well, that's why I'm <laughs> say, yeah, that's exactly why I'm trying. To yeah. This is so good. Based. Mm-hmm. And when people say to me, you know, I want to say uneducated comments about PTSD or, and they're not therapists or not psychologists or doctors. I'll say, well, I'm really happy you don't have it. So mm-hmm. when someone says that, mm-hmm. someone, and one of, one of my closest friends that I do, someone was doing the same thing to her. She has PTSD. And, she's, and they were saying, well, get over this. And I said, you know, you turn around to her and say, I'm really grateful for you that you don't have this. I don't right. want this on you. Right. That's how That's I handle it. That's good. And, and it's true. You don't want anybody to have that because it's, it's just awful. It's an awful feeling. It's awful. Right. But I know that you have gone through, see my, I always, I always say through because through to me is so important. That word through means you're getting through, you know? And, um, I know that the PTSD anxiety, you know, um, your miscarriage, your, your, um, mishap with the, with the adoption and all that can really weigh heavy on a human being. And I love, um, I reached a part of your story where you went back to India and you were walking the streets and uh, the woman you were with says, you have children, you have a family because the, Oh, I was boohooing. Definitely remind me, and I will find a photo of her and send you, and you can see like the mountain and everything. And next time I'm there, I'll be doing like films and videos in there. But it changed my life. Like, you have to imagine this woman, like, she's probably like 5'10, really tall, beautiful Indian woman, right? And she's wearing this gorgeous orange, sorry. And the mountains are behind her, and the sun's like, it was like, behind her like you could see the sun rays and it was this first morning after I travel and she's touring me around and she says everybody people you can't get away from that question right you cannot get away from why don't you have children why don't you you just can't you cannot escape this questions like you can other ones oh true so when she said to me you have all these children and they will carry you in your heart and you carry them and those are the kids I'm fighting for Right. Those, that's why you see me doing everything I'm doing. Yeah, that was a powerful moment. It was huge. Even even for the reader, like you're a great writer because I was with you in that moment. And I was also with you in the moment right after that when you went to go visit the girls. So good. Like, I wish I was there with you because I wanted to experience that with you. You're a great writer. Thank you. I appreciate that. They, you know, there was this moment where as at the orphanage where we're going from, like, I always stay there, you know, and it was a bunch of teenage girls and we're talking, just being girl, girl stuff. And then the kids had asked me about it, the first trip, not the second trip, um, but on the first trip. And that's when they said, Rachel, you have us. 
we're your sisters. Yeah. It, was, it was so beautiful. And, and you're now making a connection back to where you were, right? So that has to be filling in your heart, right? Because you're seeing, and I think you wrote about that, actually. You did, you did write about that. They had the same skin and the same nose and the same eyes. And it's, it's like you're finally like, there's this link now, right? You're back home. Um, I, I don't want you to leave without letting us know how we can support you, like how we can, how can we, you know, see where you're going to speak next or, or see where your um, social media channels are so we can subscribe and be on there with you, how we can pick up your book, because I want people to reach, reach out to you and, and really connect. Okay. All right. <laughs> you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, you can do, it's like hashtag Rachel back, but if you just put my name in you you'll be able to find me. The book is on Amazon and if you do, if you're getting the book, know that's going to a good cause. I mean, you, you're helping to make a difference in this world. And I want to thank you very much for being on Straight Talk because this means the world to me. Thank, thank you, you so much. Me. Thank you. You have just listened to another great episode on Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get more amazing content. Also visit our website and YouTube channel. Until next time with more great episodes coming your way. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.